What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Welcome to Coffee with the Dauber, episode number 73. This, of course, is the podcast for motivated guys who invest in the message of porn-free radio, and I am super excited to have uh, my uh, my brother from the West Coast, Brendan Burns himself, in the house. Uh, Brendan, welcome to Coffee with the Dauber, and I realize this is the afternoon, I'm drinking a Coke Zero, and you don't even drink coffee. So this is not coffee with the Dauber. This is uh, bottled water and a lime LaCroix with the Dauber. <laughs> um, well, yes, and I'm drinking Coke Zero, which is my afternoon beverage of choice here. So um, what's going on in your world today out in California? Um you know, great end of the week. It's almost October and it's mid seventies and sunny. And, uh, my friend is about to go surf in Carlsbad and I might join him. So life is good. I really enjoyed my time in New York, but it's, it's nice to be out here and do something different. Uh, so, um, you, uh, you lived in New York for how long your entire life? So I was born and raised on Long Island, Long Island, as we call it sometimes, and I uh, went to school in upstate New York and Ithaca and then lived in Manhattan for 10 years, six months at the end in Brooklyn, and then moved out to Orange County and now San Diego County a year ago. But I spent, yeah, a good 10 years in New York, New York City area for sure. Yeah, I, I never got to meet you there because like, I think, I think by the time we started connecting, uh, the uh, the virus really kicked in, so... I think maybe we we met we did a podcast together before uh, March 2020. I think we did one like maybe in January or maybe last uh, last two fall two years ago, and uh, and then I never got to see you in your element in New York. I really wanted to come and have sushi and you know live that Manhattan life for a, a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. I think we did our first podcast and got connected in 2019. And started doing more and becoming more friendly. And uh, you came out to San Diego like two months ago. And that was our first time. It's weird when you're really friends with someone and you've shared like everything deep about your life, like porn recovery and whatnot. And then you, you, you knock on my door and I'm like, oh, okay. Like he's taller than I thought. This guy, like my friend David, uh, who lives in LA, I was coaching him for years. And then we met in real life and I was like, Oh, you're a lot skinnier than I thought. Like, not that I thought he was overweight, but I thought he was like, you know, more filled out and more strong muscularly. So it's funny to actually meet you uh, and and to see you come down to Encinitas of all places, which is a little south of me, and get into the lingo with some of those toasty waves and surf jargon. Tasty waves. It's tasty waves. Oh, you call them tasty. Tasty waves. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was fun. Um, it's funny. I had a coaching client once come by and wanted to go out for pizza. He was in town for Chicago and he took an Uber here and he gets out of the Uber and he was like five foot two. Like I, I mean, I swear he was six foot on our coaching calls and he was this small guy. And I remember thinking, okay, that's crazy. Maybe he wasn't five two. Maybe well, I know, he was, maybe I know he was like you five, like, uh... five. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I know you like George Collins trivia. Um, his, his group was audio only. Hmm. And so we would meet once a week on uh, just audio dial in. And then when I went out to the first retreat, which was kind of part of being in his group as you go to an annual retreat, I was like, there was like a short guy with dark hair. And then there was a tall guy that was bald. And I was like, wait, which one's Mike and which one's John? It was so funny because you had no idea. Yeah. I, um, one of my first groups, uh, one of my first rev groups was on Wednesday at lunchtime. And uh, the group had a little camaraderie, but because it was at lunchtime and it was, you know, probably one of my first rev groups back in, you know, four or five years ago, uh, a number of the guys called in almost exclusively, never would be on Zoom. And so there was a couple guys in that group who I had known for a couple of years before I ever saw their picture. Um, one, one time they texted me a picture, two guys met up and I hadn't seen either one of them. Uh, so it was pretty crazy. So that's so funny. Different, different world, right? Coaching people and working with people that you don't see, uh, either in person or sometimes even on camera. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, um, what did I want to ask you? Oh, I, well, here's a question that I had for you and I don't think it ever came up before, but back in 2019, you reached out to me and I was just curious, how did you get connected with me? So in 2014, just to back it up a little bit for the listeners, I was in my mid twenties. I had just started seeing a therapist about relationship problems and she recommended or suggested that I might have a problem with sex addiction or porn addiction. And so for a year or two, she, that was Beverly Engel. We talked about these different things and then what happened was I went out on a date with a woman and I was not able to be physically intimate with her. I had problems performing and I was like, that's weird. I was just using pornography last night and didn't have any problem there. And so I had this kind of like major wake up call from that experience. And I started Googling intimacy issues, problems with intimacies, like can perform with pornography, but not in relationships. And that was how I found um, a book called Breaking the Cycle, which was all about porn addiction and shame. And and so then I went on that journey starting in 2016 to get help for porn addiction. And throughout that process, I must have just gone into the podcast app because I'm a big podcast guy and I used to really listen to a lot. And I think I found your show and I loved it. I was like, this is so great. This guy's so cool. He's funny. He's got his personality in there and it's all about porn recovery. And so I, over those years, as I was building more sobriety, having like 30 day streaks, weeks off, you know, getting better, I would listen to your show a lot, especially when I would travel. And then ultimately my podcast was growing and so was my coaching business. And I said, you know what, let me just reach out to this guy. I think he's awesome. And I think we would have a great episode on por quitting porn on my show and so I did a couple name drops from some of my past guests to try to get your attention. And you wrote me back. And then we did our first podcast. I'm telling um, you, I, I think, think it was like, I think, yeah. I think the name drop that got me to reply, which, which it works, uh, name dropping, I think it was Jesse Eitzler. Yeah. Um, who I just have heard on other podcasts. And I thought, well, somehow Brendan got Jesse Eitzler on. Um, this guy is one of the, uh, he's entrepreneur. He's written some books. He, uh, he's a co-owner of the Hawks, uh, Atlanta Hawks and married to the, the woman who created Spanx, um, the, uh, the, the undergarment for women that kind of keeps their tummy in when they're wearing dresses and stuff. And, uh, she's like a multi billionaire, I think. Self-made right? billionaire. Isn't yeah. she, is she a billionaire? Mm-hmm. And her name's, uh, what's her name? Sarah? Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely. Now, have you gotten her on the podcast? <laughs> that would be a really cool interview because she sometimes judges Shark Tank and she made a guest appearance in the show Billions on HBO right. or Showtime. Yes, yes. I saw that episode. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um. So. Jesse was a funny story, though, because I 
met him through one of his business managers. And then I was coaching him a little bit and I asked him as a favor and I didn't have anyone to name drop at the time. When I asked him, I said, Hey, would you come on my podcast? And as a favor, he said, absolutely. And he had just gone on the Joe Rogan experience about a week earlier. And so he's sitting in the studio with Joe Rogan and Joe's like, Hey guys, welcome to episode 1744. And then the next week, Jesse's we're on a zoom call together and I didn't have my roadcaster pro and all these buttons. And so I just go, and I'm in my little apartment in New York city. You can see my bed in the background because it's a studio. There's no actual bedroom. And my chihuahua is like in the windowsill. (laughs) I didn't have any of that stuff. And I say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to episode 12 of the Brendan Burns show. And Jesse's face when I said the number 12, was like, oh my God. <laughs> He's like, but part of him too was, I, he was like, felt pity on me, but he was also really impressed. He's like, man, if I'm the only number 12 for him, who's going to be episode 100? You know, the Pope? <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I, I do remember... Uh, boy, this Coke Zero, I'm, I keep burping, so it's um, I have to keep hitting the button here. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, you know, it was cool. I remember listening to that episode, and then uh, and then I think I was on, and, and I think we did another one, and then I swear I was on either one week before or one week after um, the chicken soup for the ch- ch- chicken soup for the soul guy. <laughs> Oh yeah, Can- Jack Canfield. J- Jack Canfield, and I remember thinking, "Hey, that's pretty good." Uh, Matt Dopp shoots next to Jack Canfield. I-, I thought that was pretty cool. So well, I've only had two guys named Matt on my podcast, and the other one is Matt McConaughey. So you're uh, in. You're a big player, right? Now, man. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Brendan, let me tell. Oh, I'm trying. Can you do an impression of him, Brandon? I'll tell you. When I was living out in Malibu. I was surfing. The best surfers, the guys having the most fun. The best surfers are the guys having the most fun. <laughs> he said that to me. Right. No, no. I listened to that episode. That was fun. Yeah. That was a fun episode. That was it really was fun, interesting man. because like uh, the week that you had him on, um, he was also on Howard Stern. So I listened to Howard Stern interview him and I listened to Brendan Burns interview him. Yeah. And you gave me really good feedback on that because – it was a, a sort of interesting story. Like Matthew had some abuse from his father and it was kind of an intense situation. And I personally loved his book. It lit me up. It got me excited about life and thinking about how can I go bigger and do more exciting things, push myself. But there was also like this kind of deeper rooted stuff that wasn't really addressed head on. And what I appreciated about what you said was that Howard Stern it sounded like was really trying to dig into that and call him out on it. Um, which is a liberty that I don't always take with some of these bigger names because I'm just trying to get a good piece out there. But it made me, you know, think about okay, how can I bring even more integrity and um, that type of stuff, no, no matter who's on my show. Yeah, it would it would be tough. I don't think I could pull off that interview, Brandon. It's about green lights. You, uh, everything in life, you got green lights, you got red lights. That's <laughs> don't forget the yellow lights, man. And oh, yeah, the yellow lights too. So, all right. I, I, lo- I love him. I know you didn't love his book as much, but I, I just want to, if I'm going to go on the record and get quoted by press or anything, it's because I know you have millions of listeners to this, but I thought Matthew McConaughey, he was a great guy, did a great interview with me. Um, I loved his book and I think he's a really solid dude overall. Well, I did like the one thing about that book that I did like was uh, sort of his his self-helpy kind of part of it like the um how he set his sights on certain things and kind of went after it and that that seemed to be the thing that that he was good at he definitely was good at taking bold risks and going after things so so i loved it when he went to that uh the guy who is i think the director of a time to kill and he went in and read for some Part for the guy who plays the KKK leader. And the guy's like, yeah, Matthew, you're great. We'll give it to you. But then Matthew leaned in and he had a cigarette and a cut off jean jacket or something. And he's like, who's playing the lead? I want that role. And he pushed for it and he went after it. 
And the minute he did, then once he had that, he obviously became an A-list celebrity. So it's like going for the risk and then also realizing sometimes it's just that one thing that switches and you go from here to here. Yeah, no, definitely. That was uh, that, that. I mean, obviously, the best parts of the book are where he's, you know, taking risks in Hollywood and and you know, creating and opening opportunities for himself and stuff. So, I I, I did like that part. Uh, his childhood reminiscence and how how he interpreted that that's where I, me and Howard Stern were maybe a little on the other side of that. So. Well, this isn't about Matthew McConaughey. This isn't about your podcast. Uh, we're here to talk about you. And I want to talk about, so you listened to Porn Free Radio back in the day. You did some recovery work with George Collins. Um, tell me what's been going on in recovery, say, the last six months or so. I, there's been some shifts in how you're doing things. And I wanted you to kind of break down what what's what you've been doing and what's been working for you when i started my recovery i had an addiction to texting and sexting with women and that was really where i got those rushes and those highs and those lows too and so when i was working with george i was obviously trying to quit pornography as well but we were really going after those interactive experiences with other people that gave me those shakes and those rushes and all that and so working with him for a couple of years and then another coach I had, I was able to stop that behavior. Um, so I was really grateful about that because that was really kind of the primary, most intense addiction for me starting in 2016 and then finishing that off around 2020, early 2020. And a big part of that was getting off of social media. I just said, where am I predominantly acting out? Facebook, Instagram, direct messaging. I'm going to change the passwords, give them to a friend. And I wound up not getting those passwords back for a full year. And so that was great for me for a variety of reasons. But, you know, coming into 2020, um, Wait, in relationship. Slow down for a second. Slow down for a second. Yeah, yeah. So you got off of Facebook and Instagram. Now, I, I know a little bit about your history. This might have been before, like right after you had had a lot of success in your business Instagramming, like literally like uh, over 100,000 followers, going to restaurants and being an influencer. like So like you giving up Instagram isn't like me giving up Instagram with my 30 followers. It's a little more, <laughs> it was a little higher level, your, your level of investment in the platform. Am I, am I right? Yeah. So I had um, two accounts. I had my my account for me as an influencer and a coach, which had about 120,000 followers. And like you said, it was, it was fun. I was traveling the world. I would be in Thailand and a hotel would DM me and say, Hey, Brendan, come in, sit at the infinity pool. We'll give you free dumplings and food and pork buns and drinks. And just all you have to do is take a picture like at the hotel and tag that you're at this hotel. And we'll give you two free nights of five-star hotel stay. We'll give you two meals, complimentary massage in the spa. Like, I was living literally my dream life. It was unbelievable. And so, but I also started to identify with it. I started to seek um, personal worth in my audience size and whatnot. So I was definitely idolizing it a bit much, but my Instagram was big. And then I was also getting a tremendous amount of business from Facebook ads. So I was very much in, into both of those platforms. And then what happened was I was posting so much and I applied to be a verified account and just all these different things happened. And, um, and I had to hire an agency to grow my account. And I think it was either I was posting a lot about like get off social media and like go have a balanced life that Facebook maybe was censoring, or it was the agency I was hired and they were using growth tactics with like software that wasn't allowed. But whatever happened, uh, I lost the account. So I was just kicked off Instagram. It wasn't even my choice. But I did have, and that was like a whole thing for me at the time. Now I laugh about it, but I did have a second account, which has about 20,000 followers. And so we still will post stuff for my podcast, but yeah, it was a big deal to get off of that, both of those platforms for sure. What, what was a way, I mean, what was a way that you would act out with those platforms? I mean, were you just following people and kind of like, or DMing them? What was that kind of the, was the connection piece? Yeah. I mean, when I was living in New York City as far back as 2014, 
I would go on all these different dating apps and I would swipe right on all everyone. I'd match with all these women and I would engage in these sexting types of conversations. And it was sort of like live porn, you know, it's like porn, but interactive, live, free, whatever. And when I really looked back on it, it was getting all the female attention to replace the fact that I had no female attention from a mother who abandoned me when I was younger. So it was a way to try to fill that emptiness in my heart. And then when I was doing, it got to a point where I got off dating apps. I would delete the phone numbers of women who I had. One question, emotional abandonment, right? I mean, or was it physical abandonment? It was both. I mean, she would leave the country for weeks at a time and I wouldn't have meals and it was oh, okay. sketchy for okay, sure. So yeah. there was definitely some, some breach there. For sure. And it had happened to her too. It's like, I don't want to throw her under the bus. She was just repeating a generational curse that I've broken, but she was grew up in uh, poverty in Brooklyn and her parents were out, not there having affairs, et cetera. She would go to bars in Brooklyn and grab fistfuls of peanuts off the top when she was hungry. So I had not quite that much intensity, but it was it was pretty bad. And so these behaviors were a way to cope and compensate. And I was like, I went from being sort of like dying of thirst to drinking from all these fire hoses of all these different women in this like sexually liberated 21st century modern you know there are apps like bumble where the women go first and all this you know all the stuff that's changed in society around premarital sex and and all dating and so sexting yeah that was the big one and so long story short i would direct message with people um, or i would text with people like texting iMessaging, and then when i said it's like when you delete your um your porn stash which you see people do a lot right right like right. that was my equivalent was deleting all the phone numbers of all the girls so then to drum up new situations, I would go onto social media and I would follow people or like I had a big account. So they, a lot of girls were following me. And so I would just DM and the DM sort of replaced the text messaging dynamic of that. So you'd get rid of phone numbers and then every once in a while, right? So someone would text you again and then you'd be like, dang it, I tried to get rid of her. And now she's back. Mm-hmm. That happened. No, right? There were, there were moments, there were intense moments where like I was really trying to quit sexting and then i would like reach out to a girl and then i would like pray to god be like god please don't let her answer please don't let her answer because if she does i'm gonna act out but if she doesn't i won't and it's like crazy crazy moments wow just totally out of control this is pretty intense now that i think about it i mean it's one thing when you're engaging craving and getting drawn back into your computer drawn back into uh um you know, to search or go, you know, go down the porn rabbit hole. It's another thing when your phone buzzes and someone's reaching out to you or getting back to you and, you know, it's like you might've been clean that night and all of a sudden porn grabbed you, you know, it's like, yeah, it's it's, 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 like the porn's calling you. Yeah, And it it was tough because I was so sucked into, I was totally in this act addiction lifestyle where I would like act out with someone and then I would like block their number and, and you know, I wouldn't tell them. And then they, and then I'd unblock them and reach out to them. And they were like, well, why'd you block me? You know, what is going on? And man, I was so out of integrity with all my values and how I wanted to show up in the world, how I wanted to treat women, what I wanted in a relationship and intimacy. And all, it was, yeah. Cause I can tell you about my porn recovery, but the sexting one was kind of its own animal. I, I mean, I, I know you're kind of a humble guy. Um, Brendan actually coined the phrase "new phone who dis." <laughs> thought that was Bushwick Bill. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I thought that. I I was trying to work that in. I want to be hip with the younger people with the whole texting thing. So I was just trying to like relate. Yo, Matt, slide into my DMs. <laughs> All right, so 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 that's the background. So now tell us about. The, what, tell us what's been going on in 2021 shift in your recovery, a kind of a next level kind of thing. Tell us what's been going on in 2021. Yeah. So I would look at pornography a couple times a week, probably. And I remember you and I were talking earlier this year and that came up and you were kind of giving me a very skeptical look because I was trying to justify that. And I remember saying to you, 
yeah, man, it's all right. Like sexting was my real addiction. Like I'm just looking at porn a little bit. I'm not addicted to it. And so, uh, you know, eventually I was really grateful because what happened was I got plugged in with a lot of guys here in San Diego who are really adamantly anti porn and very outspoken about it and how toxic it can be, how harmful it is for our brains and how, then how we show up in relationships. And so that kind of lit a fire for me to actually go after that. And so it was dating a girl who was like considered porn cheating and then being involved with these men in this church and these groups that were super anti-porn, but not just anti-porn. My church had this incredible 12 step God centered program that uh, I went through that I'm still, I'm actually going through now. I'm on step nine or eight or nine. I'm making amends, which is I've never done 12 steps. It's so cool. But yeah, and then and that was like four months ago. And so in the past four months, I've totally given up not only pornography, but also masturbation, which is something that when I was sexting and even looking at porn, like I had never even thought that was possible. I thought it was just religious fanatics and monks in expert mode who could quit masturbation. I never thought I could do that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Even one of the Porn Free Radio episodes, you were kind of talking about mindful masturbation. And I actually appreciated that because... Um, cause it just gave a different perspective on masturbation. Um, and you know, for some people that might be, that might work, or there might be some piece to that, that, that works for some people. Um, for, for me though, it always led me back down the rabbit hole and eventually I would want to escalate. And, and also the other thing too, that, that, I, that's been become more of a, a deeper thing for me is, um, my biggest goal is to create deeper intimacy with my wife and anything that goes away from that, like personal sexual pleasure or being by myself, fantasy, uh, pornography, anything that kind of goes in that direction feels like it's going against the, the goal that I have. So in some ways, masturbation I let go of it partly because it wasn't serving where I really wanted to go in life. I feel like a lot of people look at me and you and people who are doing porn free and no fat and like we're these lame guys who don't get sexual fulfillment and that we're like celibate. But the goal isn't to take one out and not have another. It's to take that out and replace it with an amazing, healthy, passionate, fun, diverse, novel sexual relationship with your wife. Yeah. I, I, my friend, John, um, we, we used to run a recovery group many years ago and I, I never forget this one illustration. I've talked about it on porn free radio. You know, he takes this big whiteboard, you know, just think of the whole rectangle of a huge, you know, six foot whiteboard. And he draws a little red, uh, kind of circle in the corner. Like he actually, cor- you know, corners off circles off the corner and says, the world would tell you, uh, you know, the, the, the people on the outside of this recovery group would tell you that if you restrict yourself from porn and porn behaviors, if you cut out some of these illicit sources where, you know, we're, we're getting addicted and compulsive, if then he, he said, they would say, well, all you get to enjoy is this little circle, you know, what's, what's ever in that little circle that's what you get to enjoy. And everything else on the board and everything else in life is off the menu. It's, it's cut off. And he said, but the, the truth is, is actually the opposite. He goes, when we take that corner and we boundary off the, the behavior that's not serving us, the compulsiveness, the obsessive passion, you know, the, the, the kind of the rabbit hole, the, 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 all the feelings and, and, and all the, um, um, kind of after effects, the hangover of, of acting out with porn and porn behaviors. If we take all that and we actually put it in a safe place, we kind of boundary it off. We actually get access to all the rest that life has to offer. And he, he kind of showed the whole whiteboard you know, outside of this little circle, he goes, this is all we can do. We can have great lives. We can pursue passion. We can have fulfillment. There's all these other things that we can go after if we put, you know, 
this in its place. If we put this stuff in this place. And I've always thought that is like, I I actually don't feel like I'm anti-porn. Like you said, anti for me, it's porn doesn't serve me. And I, I was compulsively doing it. I was, I was addicted to it in the sense that it was like this habit for me and it was so hard to get rid of. But once I got rid of it, it's like, it's in its place and it almost doesn't, the, the irony is I talk about it all the time, but the irony is it doesn't have very much say in my life. Like it's just kind of like in that little circle in the corner, very safely put away. Yeah. Porn has no say in my life. And like you said, the whole, what opens up is obviously incredible. And it's also worth saying that whiteboard includes a lot of healthy sexual experience and expression just in a different setting with more intimacy and connection with a real woman. Sure. And, you know, even, um, you know, I I was, uh, C.S. Lewis has this quote that, you know, he talked about our sexuality being this thing that draws us out of ourselves to, to connect meaningfully with others. So like there's a piece of our sexuality that is not, having sex and, um, you know, having this sort of like intimacy, like in, in a, in a committed marriage or something like that. Um, it's, it's partly being in community, being in relationship and not withdrawing into ourselves, which I really think the, the danger of porn and masturbation is withdrawing into yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's what uh, C.S. Lewis said. He says it's like a dark, it's this dark little prison that we're born into, our, our self. And our whole goal in life is actually to come outside of ourselves and connect with people. And we can't do that if we're withdrawing and, and going to porn and going to these, these behaviors. Yeah, and that was a huge part of my recovery this year was getting involved in community and getting close to healthy, healed people that I could be open with about where I was at. And then that connection with other humans really encouraged and helped me get over that finish line. And now I get to also serve and support other guys who are going through that process themselves. And I know you've talked about that. It's like once you get to say 90 days or something, start to support someone else. And now like you, porn doesn't dictate or control my life, but I talk about it a lot in a good way because I'm, sober from that and I'm not acting out and I'm a lot of my life I'm contributing and pouring into other guys who are struggling with that. And so that's like one of the best safeguards for me from acting out is how important supporting other people is in my life and knowing that I can help people when I'm in that good place. One thing I was uh, proud of you that, that, that happened for you is, you know, you, um, we're working on this recovery stuff and also in a relationship kind of exploring a, a, a new type of relationship for you and dating and, um, and the relationship for other reasons ended and, and, um, you guys didn't continue dating, but you kept going to the recovery group. It wasn't like you were like, Oh, let me get rid of porn and clean this up so I can date. It was more, it was like, you, you just kind of kept going. And, and I, I think that was pretty powerful. Cause I, I wondered, I go, you know, maybe this is like, if this relationship doesn't work, what happens, but you're still all in. Well, I got really lucky that the meeting is on Mondays and Tuesdays. And so when things got a little iffy with us, I respected her Tuesday meetings and went to a different one. And I'll tell you also, one of the best things that's happened to me this year through this work that I'm doing that you talk about is as you go on this journey, it's not just about quitting porn, but it's also about unlocking aspects of you that you have to do things that you didn't think you were capable of doing. And so one of the best examples of that is, you know, she came to the Monday meeting this week and was the one giving the talk and we're obviously broken up and we were had a very serious relationship and she's talking about some pretty intense things. And I was for sure not going to go to that meeting. But on encouragement from the guy who's mentoring me through the process, I went and it's like I was fine. And so one of the best things about my recovery in this journey is when faced with something that you think you can never do. For example, for me, one of the other examples would be quitting masturbation. It's 
having those other people close to you in your life who say, tell you, you can do it. You're like, I can't do it. I'm not ready yet. And they're like, you can do it. And then you invite in the support of those people and whatever other needs, whatever um, other support you need to then push through and do stuff that you never thought was possible. Yeah, that's cool. I, um, I wanted to ask you a question. What's a practical tool that you've been using this year that's maybe made some, some of the difference for you? I mean, obviously you've gone to a group and built some more connection, but is there a tool or something that you're actually using that's been really helping you? I would say that 90% of my recovery is from having the right people and the mentorship and the group and the in-person and all that. If you want to look at the other 10%, one thing I have is I'm a Mac user. And so there is a application, insert Mac, Joe. I know you're just waiting. (laughs) (laughs) And there's an application called Terminal, which is on every Mac. And you can go online and there's something called sudo etc hosts and it's like little copy code snippet you can copy in and then block any website and so it's free um it's not that hard to figure out and so i've uh, i blocked reddit which is where i did a ton of my acting out that was like my main source pretty much for when i would look at pornography on some of those subreddits so uh blocking reddit and knowing that i would just use reddit like for news or for forums but knowing how close of a click away it would be to acting out i said I'm just going to block it. Yeah. I mean, um, so just to be geeky for a second, let you know my background. Um, a Mac is actually run on, it has a Unix platform underneath it. So this old language, Unix language, and, and there's all these different ways that it structures, uh, the, the architecture of the computer, the Mac, the pretty icons you see are all running on this Unix system. So when you go into terminal, you're just editing like the, the real computer within the computers essentially. So sudo or whatever, however you say it is like, um, that's like a super user command and you put your password in and that allows you to change stuff like the host file. Um, yep. It also can, you could blow up your computer if you don't know what you're doing with That's it. That's what, yeah, you got to be so, really careful. So be careful yeah. what you're cutting and pasting in terminal because you can really brick your computer. Oh, yeah, because what I did was so, yeah, the sudo nano, et cetera, hosts is the uh, editing your host file um, and IP addresses that get blocked, which are reversible. But I did some other stuff that was, I think, irreversible. For example, and I could probably undo and reinstall Google Chrome, but I would act out with like different users or incognito tabs. So I was actually able to figure out the coding in the Unix system for uh, terminal on how to remove um, a secondary Chrome identity or how to block. So like I can't do incognito browsing on my Chrome because I coded that out of being possible on my Mac. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, boy, you know, it, it's so funny. It makes... Um... Porn makes us like like incredibly tech geniuses because because uh, <laughs> the whole way I learned to use Unix actually um, was in search of porn. I I actually f- knew how to go to forums in a terminal window and get binaries, which are like pictures, and but they're unencoded, so like they were like in, there was a text string. And then I would take this huge text screen and I would encode it into the picture and then click on the file. So I would do that all the time in Unix. And so um, anyway, it's kind of funny. But yeah, that host file, that that would be one of the tools I would have used like 20 years ago to block a site because there weren't good filters back then. Um, So that would... Uh, editing the host file would be a way that you would you'd block something. So that's cool. Yeah, so and 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 like one other thing is I blocked Reddit and then old dot Reddit m dot like all the you know variations so I couldn't get there. And then I also caught myself reading the New York Post a lot online, which is a local New York paper that has all these different sections and it's very um, 
salacious and lascivious and you have these different pictures of women and bikinis and whatnot. I just said, this is like, you know, a gateway drug. So I blocked near nypost.com too. So it's a good idea. You can just block anything that's kind of a trigger or a gateway. Yeah. There's a couple other programs that do that. Like, um, there's one called cold Turkey, uh, that'll keep a kind of a blacklist for you. And, um, there's a, you know, I, I used to have a, a couple of clients who, what they would do is they'd actually, use a piece of software that they didn't have the password to, to block, um, uh, to actually what they did is they block everything. And then just whitelist. And whitelist okay, what, yeah. what they use. And one guy in particular, another Brendan actually, um, he, um, he would do this cool thing where he would email the password to himself from this email service and he would set it to email him the password in 30 days. And he, and so for the 30 days, whatever was whitelisted was all he could get access to. And if he realized there was another site he needed access to, he would have to write it down and wait for that password to come. That's and, crazy. And, and But no, it was so cool, though. It was really effective. The day that the password would come, he'd check it in with everybody in group. Passwords come in a day. I'm going to edit my host file or my, you know, I'm going to edit the the software that whitelists. I'm going to edit it between four and five. And I'm going to send a message when I'm done. I'm bookending this thing when I'm done. And he would, he, he would generate a new password. He would, he would then set the email to send it in 30 days. And then he would, you know, hit save and then he was out and that's how he did it. That's how he, and you know, you'd think, well, you know, what happens if you can't get to a site? Well, he goes, I can't get to a site. I, I just, I just wait. Um, yeah, the world's not going to end. Yeah. And, oh, and, and Yahoo news. For yeah. And, and I know, um, I, I was working at one point with a guy who was a pastor and he, uh, he really wanted to take, take things, um, be really careful with his computer. He did the same thing. He, he actually went through his history um, and looked for all the important sites that he goes to on a regular basis for work, you know, because that's one of the things that's like, well, I can't get rid of my computer because I have to work. Well, he just went through, uh, you know, 200 theology sites and Bible sites and all the things that he does to research and work on sermons. He whitelisted all those, blacklisted everything else, so... I love it. So page, I had, I'll just say one more. Page6.com you can't get to now. What's that? Page6.com you can't get to page, Yeah, I can't get to page six. I'm, I can't find out what Alec Baldwin ate for breakfast on the Lower East Side today. <laughs> New, New York reference there. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. But no, I was just going to say my um, one of the guys who's helped me a lot, uh, he had a porn blocker that would actually alert his sponsor. If he was going to certain websites, I thought that was interesting. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. Covenant eyes has this thing. It's a screen screen accountability now where they, they basically um, take random screenshots of your computer or your device. Um, and they scramble the picture and then they have software that can determine, you know, is this porn? Um, it, it's kind of like this, like AI thing where they, you know, I, I don't know, so many pixels of, I guess, you know, naked, naked color, uh, some, you know, alerts your accountability partner. And so they track what sites you go to, but they also track what you're actually doing on your computer. So you could be on Twitter or Instagram and it would know that you're still looking at something. Looking at women. Yeah. 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 So um, one final comment about your, your, your Reddit thing. I was just, um, trading emails with a, a listener today, porn free radio listener. And he wrote a really long Reddit story about his recovery. And, um, and he had all the, all these tech tricks that he had used to act out. And it was like one thing after another of all, you know, I mean, the guy probably wasn't technical before porn, but now he sounded like, you know, like he was like a Unix server admin, the way he was talking. Um, and I totally related to that. And, but the thing that I thought was really cool, I was emailing him back and I go, I'm so glad that I got into recovery before I ever knew about Reddit. 
Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, cause I, I know I would have liked Reddit, but I know I just wouldn't have been able to handle it. And I don't even, you know, for you guys who are listening to the, to this podcast, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really talk about Reddit anymore on Porn Free Radio. I talked about it in the first year a couple times because I was kind of interested in some of the forums, Porn Free and, um, you know, the uh, the, the NoFap forum. I would, I would rotate. I'd be on Porn Free on Reddit learning how to quit, and then I'd go over to one of the adult subreddits, and it was like, yeah. so, what if I just removed both? Yeah, it just it just didn't make sense. And, and uh, the other thing that I didn't like about it, too, is, you know, there's an anonymity online that I think gets in the way of recovery. And, and like, I think, I think a lot of people on those forums think, okay, I'm really, I'm really being transparent and I'm really connecting with some other people who get it. But yet I hear stories all the time where someone connects, gets an accountability partner in one of these forums. And then the accountability partner ghosts them at some point. Yeah, and, I met this guy, Daniel, in Brazil, who was addicted to porn and video gaming. And we would write each other these long emails like once every couple weeks. And that's doesn't have the um, intimacy, intimacy and healing and connection with like someone like you, someone to bookend, the community, coming out of the dark. When you're on the forum, you're hiding in the same way that you're hiding when you're looking at porn. So I'm, I'm with you. That's not how I got sober. Yeah, and I I know there's guys who who serve in those communities and really give give a lot of value and 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 share with guys and encourage guys and that's a starting point, but I I just don't think it's an ending point. Totally agree. When I was first introduced to your brain on porn and some of these people online, it was a great way to educate myself about what this porn free movement was and how to start to do the work, but. For me, it was all sealed off with human in-person. That's why my group was in-person, still is, connection where you really let people into those dark places. And the more you surrender and let people see those dark, that pain is when the healing really happens. And that, to me, that just can't happen through a website. All right, final question, uh, Brendan. So we talked about that board, the, the whiteboard analogy what are you filling in, in in the rest of the board? What are some things that you're pursuing and going after, um, you know, as you sort of put porn in its place in your life? I could tell you it's travel and surfing and having fun in my business, but those are all things that I was able to balance as being a, you know, functioning addict with my porn addiction. So, or compulsion, but, uh, what I've really been able to fill that whiteboard with that I couldn't when I was in acting out mode is community, healthy intimacy, friendship, serving, contribution, growing in new ways. And so I've been able to pursue that here in San Diego with friendships and going to meetup groups. And now I'm in the process of starting to mentor and sponsor and coach people who are going through addiction. And that's so rewarding to be able to help people with that. And so that's been a big part of my whiteboard. And just in general, like one of my old friends from New York always used to say, life is meant to be done with one another. It's not meant to be done alone. And so I've been able to replace a lot of that hiding and shame and porn with just doing stuff. Like I might go surf with one of my friends right now. (laughs) Why are you laughing? I had the best joke, uh, about that quote. Um, uh, it, anyway, it was, just, no, I was just going to, I was going to name a supermodel's name and say it, that, that she said it. I just thought it'd be funny to, to say like to name drop a soup, but I'm not going to do it. Cause then that, that creates other problems. So oh, you got to do it now. Well, no, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to trigger anybody. So I just, but I oh. just thought, and that was said by, I, I was thinking of a funny name. So anyway, um, but no, that's that's the thing is like, obviously, well, even when I first quit, started to quit porn, I also noticed just having so much more time in my day, because even if I would act out for like 30 minutes or an hour, I would be obsessing and thinking about how I'm going to act out and planning my acting out. And so there were days where like, you know, the majority of the day was probably focused on porn and porn behaviors and sexually acting out. And I would just remember like 
you know, at eight thirty last night, I was feeling energized and I took my dog over to Ralph's and we went and got dessert and we went for a walk. And so you just have more energy and more time to do, to fill out that whiteboard more when you're not being hijacked by the addiction. Well, thanks for coming on coffee with the Dauber. I'm out of, uh, I'm out of my Coke zero and, uh, your water looks, have you drank any water during this thing? I finished my LaCroix and I'm 40% in on my crystal geyser. You know, I, I don't know if you know, but I put a mini fridge upstairs here in my podcast studio. That's co- so cool. I really need to put one in here because I keep running out of beverages in my, in my, uh, home. My kids keep drinking them when they come home from school and I go in to get like a Coke zero and there's none left. Now I drink the majority. I'll, I'll admit that my family reminds me of that all the time, but, but still, all right. Well, what you're making me want to do is I have this tripod here. So you have a nice camera, but I've also, I'm like, I want to be able to stand up like you. Cause I get tight after like 30, 40 minutes. And I'm, I'm thinking either like get another camera, have two capture cards or just like put something, um, switch my camera to my computer and then just build like a stack of books or something so I could stand up. I think this would go up high enough. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I have a stool, but it's hard for me to sit on it uh, regularly. So, but yeah, uh, now I can't see you. He's, he's standing up. So I, I now just see part of his beard. Okay, here we go. Like something like that. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's pack it in, Brendan. Guys, thanks for listening and thanks for coming on, Brendan. It's awesome to hear a little bit about your story and all the cool things that are happening this year. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Would love to come on uh, Lacroix with the Dauber anytime. I don't think it. I don't think Lacroix with the Dauber is going to stick. <laughs> all right. Thank let's... you, Matt. It's it's. I love you, man, and I'm so grateful to come on your show. Now I would just like to introduce y'all to the man, the myth, the legend, the MVP front runner. If anybody else got to say something different about that, then come see me. I'm right here in Beemore outside the bank. If you got an issue with that, come see me. I'm about that. Big trust. Woo woo. Matt Dobbs shoots. In the flesh. Yes, sir. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.